Hi everyone, I'm Paul Tucker. I'm the Head of Growth and New Markets at Orange Business Services. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Mindset podcast. And as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Simon Bryant, the Head of Digital Data and Co-Innovation. Hi Simon, how are you mate? Hey Paul, yeah, great, thank you. Great to be back and wonderful to have our guest with us today, Dale Stevens, who is the Chief Data Officer for AGL Energy. Dale, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So before we jump in, uh, just a quick overview of the purpose of the Beyond Mindset and why we're doing this, but also what is it? Um, it really is a, a series where we interview thought leaders and IT and technology leaders from across the globe uh, to get their perspective on what's coming next. Uh, this started initially as a COVID project, but um, more importantly now, um, as we're heading out of that, we're, we're really interested in what people see going forward. And uh, we, we think the experiences of these people will provide great outcomes and learnings for not only our, our colleagues and, and customers, but also the broader IT industry. So um, welcome, Dale. Let's crack on. Simon, let's go. Sure. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, and what we've seen and experienced on the podcast series so far is that, um, Dale, it's it's typically been our, our life experiences uh, historically that have kind of shaped us and formed us uh, for the, the roles that we find ourselves in, in in the current context. So I'd love to find out, you know, what do you think, you know, thinking back on, on your career uh, historically, so to speak, what are the things that have shaped you? What makes you tick? What fires you up? Yeah, good question. I think the... Um... I, I remember I've worked in technology for all of my career, but I didn't I didn't study technology. Um, I just landed a role at a PC manufacturer, and my first day of work was in a factory building PCs. Um, I'd moved from Ballarat to Sydney for that role, and I was working in a retail branch in Crow's Nest selling PCs on my very first weekend in Sydney, um, having not much experience with them. But as I was selling them and explaining them to people. Um, one, I learned how to like wing it. A whole lot of dealing with ambiguity happened in that moment, my first week of work. Um, but also the, um, the just like talking to people about what they were buying, what they were getting into, how great it was going to be, just made me go, wait, this is really great. Technology is awesome. The potential that it has to help people, to solve problems. And I just, you know, from that very first week of work, I fell in love with technology. Um, I had an accounting degree, so I tried to be an accountant, but I was terrible at it and <laughs> no passion for it whatsoever. Um, so I was always the accountant that was fixing the printer and fixing the computer and talking to the tech team. And so I just kind of moved over to technology from there. But if I, if I think back about the things, you know, life experience, the things that have shaped me, it was, you know, I love big challenges. Um, my mum will always say that... Um, I need to be challenged. If I'm not being challenged, I get a bit disruptive. Um, and, you know, people that report to me at work will say the same thing that, you know, <laughs> um, I remember we had a restructure at one stage in an old role and part of my team was was moved away. And the rest of my team was like, don't come over here. Like you do not, we do not, no, go find something else to do. So um, yeah, that's been with me forever. And um it's interesting now my kids, one of my children, actually not both of them, one of them is exactly the same. I get called to the school quite often about um, 
about one child doing all of exactly the same things that I did, which is <laughs> terribly entertaining. Not at all. It's not entertaining at all, actually. But you know, I love those big challenges. Um, uh, I love where I can kind of indulge my passion and my curiosity, and I just think technology is such a great, a great place for that. You know, that falling in love with the concept of technology and what it could do on my very first week of work, and then just being really curious by nature and trying to understand how things work. I think they go really well together in the technology world. Um, and then people, supporting people. I think some of the, you know, some of the my most kind of you know, heartfelt, really connected moments is when someone tells you that they've achieved something that you played a little role in encouraging them or supporting them or getting them there. That's, um, you know, I'm kind of tingly just thinking about it right now. Like it's that that supporting people and really helping people goes to it as well. So um, all of those things are the things that I look for in roles that I look for in organisations and I look for in, you know, the people that inspire me and the people that I hang out with. So sometimes if I'm at work on a project and I'm not getting enough of that, then I'll go somewhere else to get it as well, which is kind of how I end up doing um, lots of little side hustles at the same time. <laughs> I love, there's so many uh, things I'd love to build on. We probably won't have time to go into all of them, but one of the things that stood out for me there was uh, in terms of your, uh, your curious, uh, adventuresome, um, challenged or need to be challenged nature and, and your, your mum, in a sense, um, dealing with that and nurturing you in that. Uh, what did she do? You know, is there one kind of memory that you had of something that she might have done to encourage that? And has that informed uh, the way you uh, you kind of encourage your children and perhaps even uh, the folks you work with? <laughs> my um, my mum is very much a um, glass half empty kind of view on life, and I have I, so my rebellion is um, I go with the glass overflowing and full in in rebellion to what my mum tells me. So mum is full of stories about all the trouble I caused, <laughs> um, but also points out the um, like you know if I'm talking about a new role or I'm talking about doing things, she'll always be asking, "Are you being challenged enough?" Because I think it's just inbred in her when she's checking in. Um, it, that she always asks me that question and when we're talking about oh, so I was away in Europe once and my parents were looking after my kids for a week my husband and I were in Europe and um, parent teacher interviews were on and so mum and dad went down and they came back saying it was the funniest night of their life like going back 40 years having exactly the same conversations exactly like down to the number of friends you had like yeah everything and they said it was hilarious and I was like what's so funny about that and they said because now you're going to have to deal with what we dealt with I've got a daughter in exactly the same exactly <laughs> the same scenario that you're talking about there Dale but um there are times when my wife just looks at me and says she's you yeah. it's, it's yeah. just it's so true um. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to one of our our PNC partners at work we were just having a coffee together and I was telling her about some challenge we we're having school wanted to talk to me about something I was like I'm gonna have to do this and she said is this the one that's like you and I said yeah she said would that have worked on you as a kid I'm like damn it no <laughs> not at all so yeah it's interesting so, yeah, oh, uh, if you talk about self-awareness in your role yeah. as a leader and at work, when you've got a little twelve-year-old mini you doing all the things, but without you know maybe the mature or, or supposed maturity that I should have, um, like in your face all the time, it's um it's it's you know quite a weapon for self-awareness and taking action on the things that you should. But I'm also loving that your career started in IT sales, Dale. That's, yeah. that, that, that for me, that's a gem. I, that, 
certainly a glass of wine conversation. <laughs> yeah, when yeah I was we in... got to work in every, it was a grad rotation. So started in the factory, was on the hot desk, was um, in retail sales, in corporate sales. Um, I was like, I'd moved from Ballarat to Sydney and I had my little orange Corolla and my Sydney map and I had to go to people's houses and fix their computers and go to offices. So I knew nothing about Sydney. I didn't know my way around. I'm surprised my car took me anywhere. Um, and I was fixing computers that I knew nothing about as well. So there's a, there's definitely some, um, definitely learnt how to deal with ambiguity and change. Yeah, I think that that whole grad program, I mean, that this will lead us to a whole other area of discussion, but, but the whole benefit of a true grad program and an investment in grad programs is, is something that I think is a bit lost. And, and this year is something that we can just park and move on from. But, but I think that's an area that needs further investment and further exploration. Um, considering the breadth of experience you got, that it, it, it ended up giving you some clarity as to what you really loved. Yeah. And I think there's a big, a big gulf at the moment with that end of school into uni and beyond where there are a lot of lost kids, not because they're not bright, not because they haven't been really well educated, but because they haven't had exposure to what's possible. So I think yeah. that's a, yeah. But the other part is that, you know, I, I had a couple of other roles and then I was a consultant, um, IT consultant. And that meant going into different companies, different industries, and having to help really quickly because people pay, not that I was paid a lot of money, but my organization was paid a lot of money for, to um, be in there giving advice. So you have to be able to work out what's going on really quickly to be able to work out what's needed and how you can help. And show your value. Yeah. And so then I, I, after being a consultant, I worked at NAB for a long time. I've moved around lots of different departments, but I really noticed people that hadn't had that experience of being able to chop and change either industries or teams or projects or what they were working on was like that I then I saw that as a set of skills that people really needed and I tried to work out how to how to bring that you know broaden that experience and being able to jump into a new project or a new part of NAB because NAB's huge like mm -hmm. there's lots of different things going on in there how do you get those different experiences without having to have done the years as a consultant so um it's yeah it's definitely a set of skills that uh you know i didn't realize i was building them at the time but it started on day one in my very first day of work so you just i'm listening kind of listening to your, your background um your kind of nurture the way you were nurturing your own children and and your reflection your self-awareness and all of that uh, and we know that you're um, involved in investing your time uh, in, in a number of initiatives. Um, RoboGals, Girl Geek Academy. Um, how do you, can you tell us a little bit about those, uh, those initiatives um, and kind of how you feel you're, you're uniquely equipped in terms of your experience and your backgrounds to be a part of those? So they, that started, um... I was promoted into a senior role in technology at NAB and I was talking to my manager at the time um, and he was just saying, you know, diversity in technology, it's, you know, it's well known that there is not a lot of diversity in technology. Um, and this was nearly 10 years ago. Uh, and he was like, so how do I was, the, I think there was two females on his leadership team. And he was just saying, so like, what do you think? What do you think about diversity and you know, he was genuinely curious and trying to work out the different points of view 
And my answer at the time was that um, I'd pretty much always been one of the only women in the room and you just kind of get on with it. Um, But that I'd always had these amazing female role models and mentors. And he asked me whether I'd ever stopped to think that maybe I was that role model to others now. And I hadn't. And it freaked me out a little bit for a while. I didn't quite know what to do with that. That just made me go, wait, is everyone looking at me now? Am I supposed to, what what do I do with that? Like, and how do I, mostly I was scared of it at first when he first mentioned it to me. And it took me a little while to work out that I, that I, I could, there was, there wasn't a, it wasn't like it didn't, how did I work out to not have that weigh heavily on my shoulders, but to look at it as an opportunity, not a responsibility um, and, and make it kind of both. And so it took me a while. It took me maybe, a, it took me a, a good year or so actually to work out what I could do or, or to do something more than just mentor people. Um, and so in the end, I, I created a women in technology program um, that started to impact hundreds of people. Um, they then, you know, part at the heart of that was, you know, if we're going to create these opportunities for you, then we want you to create them, you know, pay that forward. So we started to see impact, you know, this ripple effect and impacting just thousands of people. Um, and, but, uh, but there was also when you're trying to solve a diversity problem, the first port of call is always recruitment. And if you can't, um, which I don't think is quite right, but it is, it just is what it is. Um, but, but there's always, but then you can't get enough candidates that are from the different diversity pools that you want to tap into. Mm. So, you know, the way to solve that is to like really dig into the pipeline. So I kind of went looking for where is that happening? Um, mm. Robo Girls, uh, well, I actually invited Marita Cheng, the founder of Robo Girls, to come and speak at one of our events once. And then I just harangued Robo Girls until they invited me onto their board because I was so impressed with what they did um, and and how they were working. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how that started. But the reason I stay there is the difference that it makes. It's a student-run organisation. It's all around the world. And um, what they, you know, but they're all, they're all students, right? So the board is specifically people that have experience in different, different parts. Um, and can really help like it's a not-for-profit but it's a like active board that is in there really lending our experience and subject matter expertise to help a group that are predominantly students or very very early in their engineering degrees uh, engineering careers to go out there and they they all have such passion for making a difference to diversity and engineering and that uh, it's a board with a whole lot of experience to lean in and help girl geek academy was um there was the founders of Girl Geek Academy, a couple of them worked at NAB. Um, they were trying to decide whether to be based in Australia or based in San Francisco. They went over to San Francisco and they, they because one of the founders lived over there, um, they went over there and they went around to lots of different companies in San Francisco and Silicon Valley and had all of those pushback experiences saying, yeah, we'd like to make a difference. We'd like to have more women in our team, but we don't want to lower the bar. Um, like those kind of conversations. And they they kind of went home and regrouped and said, why is it so hard in Silicon Valley when Dale's making a difference in Melbourne? So let's go and ask Dale. And so they came and asked me and we came up, we hatched this idea to create this Girl Geek in Residence program. They would help me run the Women in Technology program at NAB and learn from how we were being able, how we were able to do it at scale. Um, and I'd get access to all of their programs and workshops and hackathons and stuff for free for um for the women that were in as part of the women in technology program. And it just became this kind of symbiotic 
learning from each other, experimenting kind of experience. And we've just stayed, it's, it worked. And even though, but like both, I've moved into different roles and they're doing much different things now, then um, definitely like learning from each other, the, the spaces that each other works in about what we could do differently. But then when it comes to what kind of experience do I bring to those groups? Because um, I, I also mentor at Stone and Chalk, which is a startup incubator. And I've mentored through the Queen's Young Leaders Program, which was award winners from around the Commonwealth that have startups that are kind of leading change in their communities. Um, and I look at that and go, you know, these people are all amazing and I've never run my own startup. So how am I going to be able to actually help them? Mm. Um, and I was actually, um, uh, I was, I, I was in a, um, a panel at an event once and Justin Dry from Binomoco was talking about his team. Um, and they were, it was early in their startup days. And I was talking about my team that was 1500 people. And it's like, how on earth do you run a team of 1500 people? And it was kind of that moment that made me realize I, because I was running big teams, um, I think, I think at that size. And so when you're running a startup, you're, you're, you think at that size, but with ideas to scale. So how could I take that 20 years of experience that got me to be able to think at that scale and teach it to people so that they could start by thinking at scale? And so that's kind of being able to then unpick that, um, like teaching someone to drive a car, the things that you just know how to do, how do you unpick them and teach them to someone else? Yeah. Um, is what I had to work out how to do. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, phenomenal. I think the um, as a dad of three daughters as well, I think that's one of the areas that I see huge opportunity for in terms of role models and leadership. So the fact that just the way you speak about it clearly comes through that you get a buzz out of it just as much as you know you're you're providing value. Um, the the whole component of girls in IT and and how we take away the stigma that it's that it's just a, a bloke's club, I think is really important. Um, I'm interested in the mentoring and, and, and the grad component of how you embed that in a major organisation because it's one of the things we've cha challenged ourselves to do. Mm. Has the challenge been um, the grad program itself or has the challenge been how you scale it once you get success with it? What's, what are some of the lessons you've learned there? That's a good question. Because I see um, AGL is, you know, we have our grad, we have grad program, but certainly our apprentice program. You know, we look at apprentices going into um, regional, regional areas, big operational, heavy machinery, heavy engineering type sites. And um, we do recruit, you know, 50-50 on the females to males in electrical trades apprentices and stuff like that. So the the pipeline is out there. You've just got to work out how to make it a great place to be once people get in the door. Um, and that is, you know, big companies have all the, you know, the all the kind of policies that you would want to make it a great place. You know, you don't have to fight for paid parental leave and all of those kind of things. They're there. Yeah. Um, and it's great that the, I know the Victorian government has passed the Workplace Gender Equality act which you know brings all of that to small business and public service as well so um th those are the great like kind of building blocks for things but you've really got to work to make it a great place to work mm. to make sure you're not isolating people you've got to be really careful that your inclusion programs don't just exclude 
other people. Yeah. Um, but it's just something, it's not like it's, I, I said before that you, recruitment's kind of one of the first places you go to, but um, I, I also see a lot of organisations really rely on those, those policies are in place so tick, that job's done. Um, and, and, and kind of look at it as a job of HR, of a PNC departments to really drive the diversity and inclusion programs. Um, and they will be subject matter experts, but it's the job of leaders. Mm. Every single leader has a role and responsibility to make sure that they've got um, balance in their teams, that everyone feels a sense of belonging, which enables them all to perform at their best. It's really the job of leaders. So I like my my desire is really to help try to help all leaders understand that it is it, it is a core part of their job it's not just hit your metrics hit your milestones get your sales targets get your delivery targets done it is how you care for and look after your team is what's actually going to get you those targets get you those achievements um and making sure that you've got balance and belonging in your team is a key part of that and i think the it being an authentic message as opposed to a box ticking um, artifact in terms of annual reporting is the, the critical message that I'm taking away from that. And so that, that then drives the type of leaders that you bring in who genuinely care about the, 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 the success of yeah. the yeah. yeah. Your, your point around uh, this is not the, uh, the, you know, HR does have our subject matter experts on this, but the leaders have to catch this and catch the vision. Uh, and be inspired by it themselves. And I'd love to just understand more of, of I suppose, the aha moments that you've seen and, and um, nurtured in, in other leaders in order to get them to that place. But let's, let's move into uh, another part of your, your work kind of role, I guess. Uh, this has all been almost your, your night job that we've, we've talked about and what a night job you've got. Um, your day job, uh, Chief Data Officer. Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the journey that um, AGL is on in terms of, of data, leveraging data, driving transformation with data, and how you, um, in, in your day-to-day -day work, go about uh, supporting that and driving that? Yeah, sure. So data and analytics at AGL, like it's, it's always been there. There is so much data in the energy world. If you think about in Victoria, everyone has a smart meter on their house. And the smart meter is sending off a reading every half an hour about what what the energy usage is. Um, that it goes through the market operator, so we don't see it in in specific detail. But that the, the the every appliance leaves a footprint. So with that energy data, you can almost see like when are people getting up in the morning and turning their heaters on or turning the kettle on, and um, the like it is it is all passed through our central. Uh, um, space so we can't quite get to that level of detail but that kind of level of detail is out there in data and that's just energy consumption if you mm. think about um, energy generation like the sensors on wind turbines the sensors in in power plants about looking at what's going on because they're huge big sites there's drones drones in, like there's so there's so much going on in terms of opportunities to capture data um, that that the big opportunity for us then is how do you put it to work? Like, what do you do with all of that data? How do we take um, our organization to that next level to really, to really get value out of our data and it being value in terms of how we generate energy, value in how the services we provide to customers, um, even just helping customers to know that their solar panels aren't working, you know, aren't producing as much as they could, stuff like that. 
Um, so those kind of things that like the energy industry is one that is one sitting on so much data already um, two being truly disrupted by technology with the emergence of batteries um, if you think of your home with if you've got a battery if you've got an electric vehicle you've got a battery if you've got a battery if you've got solar panels um, whatever other you know your television and everything connected up to the internet you've got a virtual power plant happening in your house and all sorts of other opportunities going on so all of that is kind of sitting there you know I said at the start like I get really excited about the potential of things you see that now I'm so excited about <laughs> what what is possible um, but so that's what we're sitting on and that um, re like really digging into that possibility like how we're using it now um, one of the, the the data and analytics created as a center of like this data and analytics has been at ADL for a very long time but we created a center of excellence 18 months ago with the idea that the different parts of AGL could learn from each other. We could bring our data scientists together in one place and they could, you know, we could cross pollinate what was going on. Um, and and that, that, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, we've had some, you know, early advanced analytics use cases getting like how we look at data to get a wind turbine to align into the wind. So if you think, and, and that's a really good example because everyone can kind of picture a wind turbine in their mind. Um, but when you're dealing with big, heavy, engineering industry you think of a big power plant there's so many different moving parts um they're like yeah that, that 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 it's a bit harder to imagine what's going on but a wind turbine so getting the wind turbine to face into the wind would normally require like if it's not quite right it's hard to tell if it's not right without sending someone up to the top of an 80 meter high pole Nothing. to test it and adjust it and do all of those things while they're up there so how do we use data to work that out and how could we then use that data and the insights we get to automatically feed it into the operating system of the wind turbine to make that work better? So that, that's like one small example of something we could do. But really, we're going after, you know, digital twins of the entire operations, how we link procurement data, like just the, the you know, how we link all the different pieces up um, and what what different things we could do with all of those insights. And sometimes it is, it's been really interesting because the potential with all of this data is, you know, we produce an insight of some sort. It's what you do with the insight that matters. Um, and so like the, the, the bigger challenge is, is less about the technology and the data and the advanced analytics and AI and machine learning. That, that's all got its own set of challenges, but then getting people to change what they do based on something that the tech tells them it's actually a really hard part um and you know there's so many people with so much experience and understanding of what's going on sitting around our organization that you know going the sensor says this and they're like but i can see this so actually bringing those groups together there's a huge amount of change management that goes on with it and like people engagement that goes on with it as well so um yeah that's what data and analytics is at a energy company i think all all industries are kind of sitting on similar things so much data floating around trying to work out what's useful what isn't where the value is where we can make things better where we can reduce costs or increase revenue or make someone's job easier or create a better customer experience it's the hard part is kind of working out which things to do um and then the next hard part is um actually getting the thing to happen that the data tells you so there's just so much uh, there in terms of, you know, as you, as you started that conversation in my mind, there's the, uh, and perhaps AGL is not kind of the traditional legacy enterprise that, that's kind of stuck with disparate 
um, sources of data and data technology. Um, and it's so hard to go on a transformation journey. So it sounds uh, that AGL perhaps wasn't um, as kind of legacy uh, in terms of you coming into that role, but lots of, um, I suppose, insights in terms of how to drive uh, data-driven in innovation, the center of excellence, um, value-driven use cases, the change management. You can't just say, hey, here it is, you know, <laughs> you've got to engage. You talked about, uh, and, and obviously energy and AGL is kind of ripe for, for digital twin. As you anticipate your digital twin journey, um, what do you think are some of the key steps that you'd be liking to, to take your, your organization on to get to from where you are today to, to realizing the potential of digital twin? I think it is, because there's the, it's like, what to do first? <laughs> um, because there's so many different things that we could do. And there's so many things that we're already doing. Like we, like we effectively already have digital twins, but how do we take them to the next level? Yeah. Um, and how do we link them up? Because you don't, it's not just one digital twin. There's, you know, they're kind of everywhere. Um, but how do we link them up? What are the things that are worthwhile to do? It really is working out where the most value and the most impact is going to be because the, the sooner you can get those parts done, the more leeway you have to do maybe the more complex things. I think the one of the tricks for us is that um, and the heavy engineering, there's such complex, potentially there are so many big complex problems that you know, you put a bunch of data scientists and engineers together and they go down 50 different rabbit holes and all of them are worthwhile chasing after. But how do we, but working out which ones are the ones to go after first. So, you know, if you think about your standard kind of consulting quadrant of um, complexity versus cost versus value, um, which are the ones, you know, getting into that, that magic space where you can get some things done quickly to have an impact so that you can continue to go after the bigger, more complex things. Yeah. It's working, working that out when, you know, data science is a science. It's a bit of an experiment. Like they're not all going to work yeah. and they're not all, and they're not traditional kind of business cap project business cases because, you don't really know what you're going to find when you, when you start. You're like, we've got this problem. We think we can fix it with analytics. Or we think we can get a different view with analytics. Um, we think we've got the data for it. And then you get into it and, you know, you maybe or maybe not. It's still like there's this experimental stage. So, you know, like for a, the one of the challenges we have is for a big organization that kind of thinks, you know, the investment process is much more around business cases and known outcomes that people sign up to and then someone goes after delivering them when we're a bit more R&D and experimental in what we do in the first instance when we first start looking at it before we prove kind of that it does have this value then that, that's a bit of a challenge as well so people don't quite understand what the possibility in analytics is and they you don't quite have a business case together then there's a lot of unknowns and that makes people nervous when you are um and that's that's such a common challenge i think in in enterprises do you can't would you have a, a sort of a secret source um dale's secret source of how to overcome that particular challenge um i think it is no because or, or i would have already but um <laughs> but i i think it is um getting a few runs on the board like what are a couple of those use cases where you started out as an unknown and either you stopped it quickly because it just wasn't going to get there or you 
actually delivered on 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 some kind of value at the end of it. So yeah. the more kind of runs you have on the board, the more willing people will be to you know take that risk with you. Um, knowing that you're going to stop it quickly if it's, you're not just going to keep flogging it. You're going to stop it quickly if it's not progressing or you're going to, you're going to be able to deliver on some kind of uh, deliver on that possibility as well. So I think just like there's, there is a leap of faith in the first instance. And I'm incredibly grateful that our CEO took that leap of faith to create the COE in the first place to mm. just really lean in and see what we could do. I think as well with engineers, with all respect to them, the concept of failing fast and, and what we're now talking about the world being and, and trying things that might not be completely baked before we try them, that's a, there's a cultural element for, for that um, new approach to be absorbed and, and to be tested and proven. So I think that's, a, that's also a challenge that no doubt you're facing because in, in an organisation like AGL, with the size of investment around power plants and wind energy and, and some of those things, you can't just try and it might not work. That there's a lot of due diligence done before making an investment. Yeah, and and finance teams as well. But one of the reasons I joined AGL nearly three years ago, and one of the reasons that I was interested in AGL was that they were they were investing in the transformation of all their underlying technology. Simon, you mentioned that before. So yes, that digital kind of transformation was underway. Um, they're investing in investing in renewables, investing in the batteries, investing in virtual power plants, like really trying to, they, you know, and, and we now, one of my peers is um, Ayala, she's in a, uh, they are innovating, we've got electric vehicle subscriptions out there and there's a whole lot of other things being, you know, tried and tested and incubated in that space. So I was, I was, I was all in because of the investment in transformation. It wasn't just saying it that they you know that they that the industry is transform is in a time of change it was clear investments in transforming the organization clear examples of where they were going you know where they were innovating and going cutting edge um or, or like trying things that just you know world first things were happening um and uh it was like they were some of the reasons that i was interested in the idea was willing to willing and able and had examples of where they were transforming and changing for exactly that reason so you know you kind of think that AGL is over 180 years old it's you know big old power plants um, because that's what people see from the outside but when you you don't have to dig very far to find all of this really interesting stuff going on that's it there as well Incredible. lots more to dig on but I think let's uh <laughs> Pretty good. volume two of this episode. <laughs> 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 Tux, how about uh, we kind of wrap up this great conversation with our, our famous local famous three? Yeah, okay. sure. All right. All right. I'm ready. Are you ready? It's not a it's not <laughs> fastest first on the buzzer, Dale. So really okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess business outcomes over the next 12 to six or six to 18 months, give it a range of that. Um, that you see that your role really needs to influence. What are some of those that you can share? So really moving from, you know, I said at the start where the, the way to get to get traction is to, you know, get a few runs on the board, do a few use cases, get them over the line. The, the, and, and so that's happening, but it would not, but it, what, what would be great would be to move beyond this kind of little proof of concept factory um, to being, having, 
you know, all of this future state of um, the organization when you think about, uh, you know, retail or generation or, or wholesale, that, that those that those strategies of the AGL business have analytics at the center of them, not strategies of the business that maybe, oh, could you have a look at this one and do a proof of concept on analytics on it? So that's kind of the shift over the next 18 months to go from that those proofs of concept, those individual use cases to get them not just added up to mean bigger value, but actually get them, you know, really embedded that the business strategies have analytics at the center of them is kind of how I'm measuring my own success. Well, not my own success, but the success of the CE, the data and analytics COE at the moment. Okay, and, and you, you maybe partially answered it there, but beyond that 18 months period, what are the, the technologies that you think your industry specifically um, can apply that will help shape the future? What, what are the things that you go, wow, I'm really excited about where this can take us, even though it's early doors? I still think it's it's the advancing technologies around AI and machine learning. Most of the people that we talk to um, about advanced analytics um, are still still think of I just need access to the to, to my report. I just need this report. I just need access to this data. Mm-hmm. It's still very much kind of the the hindsight. Give me the data. Tell me what happened so I can form opinions about what we might do next. Yet the possibility is that AI and machine learning can be really giving you the foresight and getting to that prescriptive analytics. Um, and that I, I think we're still going to be, I would, I know that that is possible today, but it's, um, that is the thing that we need to be really working on to make sure we realise that possibility in the future, because I think, you know, there's still a lot of just getting you know, the rights, we are in a, in a fantastic space in terms of having the right, you know, the golden sources of data and getting it all connected up. We're in a fantastic space, but it's but it's still a, um, whenever you ask someone what they want from data and analytics, it's, it's give me my report. So <laughs> shifting that forward is a big opportunity for us. Yeah. And, and it's like, so the AI and machine learning that exists today, um, maybe doesn't exist today in in real live production use as much as we think it does and it absolutely could so that's still what I'm I'm focused on and then the final one from me is and this might be an interesting one for you because you're clearly playing a role with RoboGals um, and Girl Geek that where you're a mentor to others but I'm interested in the the leading lights that you see that you're inspired by in business that um, not only inspire you, but shape your thinking or challenge you. And that can be whether it's a mentor or, or someone, you know, that we all recognise as a name. But I'm interested <laughs> in that because, yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Um, <laughs> it is. I have so many mentors. Like people always ask, you know, when, like, there's always conversations about mentors are really important. I have so many mentors and, you know, sometimes they don't even really know that I think of them as a mentor. I remember... Um, uh, Karen Lawson is a lady that that uh, took over as a managing director of Spotify in Australia. Uh, she's moved on since then, but I remember sending her a message, a text message, going, "So great to see my mentors getting that role." And she's like, "What? I'm your mentor now?" I'm like, "Yes, I call you every time I have a question about that kind of work." So, um, but yeah, I have I have lots of mentors in lots of different spaces, and I remember being at a 
tech conference, a tech leadership conference once, and there was this man on stage, and he was talking about, you know, if you have, I was like 45 at the time, he said, if you haven't been a CIO by the time you're 40, you may as well give up, it's never going to happen, and then he went on with all these different things that you needed to be successful, and it was very alpha male in its, um, in its approach. And one of my friends was on the other side of the room sending text messages going, this guy's awful. And I was like, I need this guy to be my mentor. So, and then he did become my mentor and he helped me a lot in contract negotiations and different things to think about. And he calls me every now and then with like, there's a role out here that you might find really interesting. So I don't like, you know, you don't, um, mentors aren't always like, there's always like, there's, it's like, you know, there's no perfect mentor, I don't think. It's all like the pieces of the puzzle, all the different yeah. things that you can bring together. Yeah. But I do look at, I do look at, um, you know, when you're in a company like AGL that's been around for a very long time or NAB that had been around for a very long time, then looking at the disruptors, who are the people that are disrupting the industry? Um, what are they doing? What can you learn from them? Because what what you have as a big organization that they don't have is millions and millions of customers. And so what they have is some new disruptive thing that um, is interesting and they won't always come together. Like what um, some, you know, small startups or disruptors can do won't apply in a corporate, but the way they think and the way what they're trying to do to disrupt the industry is something is always something you can learn from. So that's why um, I, 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 I kind of hang around like a um, annoying stalker with the, um, with like when I was at NAB with NAB Ventures, their venture capital arm, and the same at AGL with the people that are looking at the um, venture capital, like AGL's venture capital as well. Like really, what what are they looking at, and why are those companies interesting, and what are they doing? Um, and the same with just the startup community in general, just looking at what people are doing and thinking because they think very differently to big corporates, and I think that's always something you can learn from. Mm. Yeah, um, I've got some questions that I'm going to take offline with you about. That. <laughs> um, that's an area that I'm particularly interested in as well. Um, but thank you. That was great. Thank you. Mm. Um, great conversation, uh, Dale. It's been wonderful chatting with you. I think kind of reflecting on, on our experience with you here, you're a leader um, who unreservedly, unashamedly, vulnerably brings um, herself and her life experience uh, into into your role, um, either as in terms of your CDO role or your mentor uh, coach role, and uh, there's just so much uh, power and potential uh, in that. And I'm, I'm sure you're an inspiration to many. Not that's what you seek to be, but just <laughs> by nature of who you are. So that's come through really strongly for me. And in, in this, uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, and all the best for your endeavors in the future. Thank you. It's been fun. And, and absolutely concur with everything that, that Simon said. Um, thank you, Dale. And for those that are interested in tuning in, this podcast is now available uh, on all the podcast channels, so Apple, Spotify, and also on Android. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, subscribe, uh, rate us, tell us what you don't like, tell us what you do like. Uh, and we hope that you got some value out of the discussion. I know, selfishly, I got a huge amount out of today, so I really enjoyed it. So um, thank you again, Dale. And um, please, we look forward to, to catching up now that we can uh, in person. We can actually have a real-life coffee, which will be amazing. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and thanks to Simon and Dale. Thank you.